Welcome to the Octopi Podcast. On this episode, I'll sit down with Darren Caldwell, a marketer, student of leadership, and student of psychology to talk about fulfillment, both at work and beyond those walls. How do we find it and how do we live it? All that more right now. Welcome back, everyone. It is Matt. I am here today with Darren Caldwell. Hello, Darren. Hello. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course. So um, for those of you who don't know Darren, I have known Darren for, wow, uh, the better part of a decade now, actually. Um, So we're we're creeping up on it, probably like eight years Crazy it's been that long. I know, right? Um, So we we met when we were at Zappos. We were both in marketing at that time. On I was on the social media organic side. He was on the paid side working on stuff. And then eventually you you moved into brand there as well as some internal things for employee engagement and those kinds of initiatives, correct? Correct. Yep. Started out on the paid side uh, on actually the sister company, 6pm.com is where I started. And then they brought me into Zappos proper. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I got to be part of that team um, and work more directly in, with you. Um, but then started kind of what I like to call an internal advertising and communication agency within Zappos and, and was lucky mm-hmm. enough to see success there and build out a team of designers and marketers to help internal teams communicate more effectively and um, showcase their ideas and events in a more aesthetic and effective way. So you like always been marketing it, wherever, like whatever role it's like either external, yeah. internal. Now you're with National Indoor RV Center um, as the marketing director there. So you've had quite the breadth of experience, um, especially in marketing. Really, you know, when you and I really started getting closer, a lot of it had to do with things that were not marketing related specifically. Yeah. But what I want to talk a little bit about today, which is around the overall experience of the human being in the workplace. And you and I partnered a lot uh, working with Simon Sinek's team when they were training us to do Y Discoveries. And through that, that helped me find my direction. I'll share a little more on that uh, a little bit later. But your perspective has always fascinated me and I've just always considered you a great leader. And what I am curious about is I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey and your passion for the topic. We wanted to talk today about fulfillment and what has drawn you to this topic. Cause I know you read about it a lot. You talk about it a lot. You've had the opportunity to lead some initiatives for employee development at different companies. So I'm just curious to hear what inspires you and gets you excited about this topic. I think it started with my work in a food company in Idaho where we made we made dehydrated mashed potatoes in Idaho super cliche <laughs> very sexy stuff also yeah <laughs> super. and uh, when you when you graduate from college the first thing you think is I want to make and market dehydrated mashed potatoes uh, well that is the dream yes exactly that is the american dream so i was with the company um, i will i'll leave their name out but needless to say, appreciated the experience there, but did not find a lot of fulfillment. In fact, it was such a toxic work environment, leadership, putting undue pressure on employees, throwing employees under the bus um, when their initiatives didn't go well. All these factors came together to make a, a very unfulfilling work experience there. Mm. And I remember me and my coworker, she was like my second grandma. She was amazing. (laughs) And 
I remember we, me and her worked very closely on putting together these huge events for over a hundred broker food brokers that would come out and we'd wine and dine them for a full five days. And this was major stuff. I was creating videos and materials and designing custom pamphlets and the whole nine yards, swag, hats, everything. And we just got done pulling one of these off. And uh, at the end of the week, my boss went to Karen and said, you're over budget on this thing. Instead of this was a huge success. Thank you so much for your hard work. Not only that, the reason she was over budget was the requirements that were put on her by leadership. And Mm -hmm. she sat there crying on my shoulder at the end of this really successful event. And I thought, this isn't how it should be. This, this yeah. is not what fulfillment looks like. This is not how employees should be treated. And it was at that moment that I started searching for companies that focused on providing happy and healthy workplaces for employees. Mm-hmm. And this was back in 2012. Well, not surprisingly, Zappos was at the top of that list, right? Yeah. They totally killing it on the culture scene. Employees were happy. So I'm one day I'm at work at this food manufacturer and I'm Googling best companies to work for, you know, top cultures. Zappos comes up. I click on the link. They just so happen to be having one of their all hands meetings. Right. And mm-hmm. back in those days, before they were acquired by Amazon, they could broadcast those meetings live and anybody, mm-hmm. including me, could get on there and watch this. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm watching this video of this all hands meeting in a conference room, hiding out, like trying to view this thing, you know? (laughs) And uh, I saw Zappos call up a random employee up to the stage and gift her a cello because she was a cellist and Mm -hmm. her cello had been lost or broken when she moved down to Vegas to, to join their company. And she loved playing, but she couldn't. Well, they fulfilled her dream that day. She's crying on stage. People are crying in the audience. I'm crying in the <laughs> conference room of my employer. And I, I was just like, wow, this is, they are actually fulfilling people's dreams, fulfilling their lives. And so it was at that point that I really started to focus on and become passionate about how do we create work environments that people want to go to every day? People want to be yeah. part of every day. People want to experience every day. And that led me on the journey to Zappos and, and from there on after. Yeah, I never knew that about you. The, <laughs> the, the reason that you decided to come to Zappos. I was at that all hands meeting actually sitting in the, oh, really? in the audience. So it's, it's, I still vividly remember that. And, and I believe it was the result of there was an internal kind of posting system and it could be the wishes system. That might be what it was, where, where essentially if you needed something, uh, if you had a dream, not like, you know, I want to be a trillionaire, like not something like that, but it was, you know, uh, we've gone through some hard times, kind of like you yeah. said, you know, I was moving and my cello broke and I'd really love it. And it was, I think the purpose of that internally was just like, almost like an internal Craigslist of like, if anyone can help, you know, we help each other yeah. out, which to me was an amazing idea. And then what you saw at all hands was the team that managed that would eventually, usually once per year or per quarter, I think, would pick something off of that list and fulfill a wish. Um, Amazing. So, yeah, it was really cool. And and that was something, you know, your journey different than mine, but I think the, the motivation was the same, which is I had come from, uh, you know, 
I went to college, studied marketing myself, was planning on being an advertising guy, making all these awesome ad campaigns and ruling the world. And I was just going to get rich doing that. And that was what I envisioned because that was what I kind of had been conditioned in business school right. to prize, you know, and um, this is the journey you will take. Exactly. Yeah. The, the definition of success was being rich and building a right. business. You know, that was all it was. Yeah. And so I went through and came out of college in one of the worst economies um, you could have come out of college in and uh, could not find a job. So I had to take a job at my local y, uh, YMCA. And uh, so shout out to the Y. I, I owe yeah, a lot yeah. to the Y from growing up there and, and playing sports there. And so I, I took a job there. But um, it was, and this isn't an indictment against the YMCA, it's just, you know, it was a nonprofit and it was a fitness club. And so those two things combined, neither one of those is, are really known for having great cultures. You know, a yeah. lot of, unfortunately, a lot of nonprofits end up having bad cultures because they're so high strung. There's a ton of bureaucracy that comes with it. There's not a ton of autonomy. And, and while the causes may be great, the actual execution of the work can sometimes be like in, at least in my experience, I see that pattern a lot. And that was my experience was it wasn't awful. It wasn't worse than other places. It just wasn't inspiring. I wasn't excited to go to work a lot of times. And so I remember that my friend, Darren, who, uh, other Darren, not, not this Darren, um, my other friend, Darren, who I, I like him already. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, you, you do like him cause you've met him, but, uh, I'd gone to high school with this guy and he and his, his brother had started working at Zappos years and years before he decided to take a job. I helped him move out there. And this was around the time I was looking at what to do. And luckily he got me in and took me on a tour at one of their old headquarters. Um, and just was like, come look. And, you know, I had this idea in my mind of I'm, I'm too good. You know, I, I graduated college. I double majored, had a minor, you know, all this that I was in, I was a student body officer. I was in you know, yeah. Greek life and stuff. So I was like, I'm not taking a customer service phones job and had this in my mind that I was just so good. And so, so much Above better than that. that. Yeah. And then Darren was like, well, just come see. Cause they like, they promote from within. And that to me was a real big draw. Cause I always hated working at a, at a company where I worked really hard. I showed my value. I thought to the, the team organization. Yep. And then when the position opened up that I could get, or was felt like I was qualified for, or should had like earned, they would hire someone outside cause they had done it at another company. And that always really frustrated. It was like a, a, a killed your motivation and it really made you think like well why oh, am yeah, i of course trying to put in my time here so the idea of a company that you know promoted almost exclusively from within for high-ranking positions uh, was really appealing to me and i got to take a tour behind the scenes kind of see the headquarters and how everyone decorated their desks and and he kind of just gave me the 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 quick pitch and i got to meet people and i was like wow the yeah. work is not glamorous but I just want to be a part of it. Like, I want to feel this energy. I want to be surrounded by these people. And to me, that was the first insight that I had that kind of started me on this track of what I'm doing now, similar to you. It's just, you have that aha moment where it's almost like you've been wearing smudged glasses your whole life. You <laughs> just wipe them off. You put them back on. And you're like, oh, it's so clear. It's like, yeah. this is how it's supposed to go. Um, well, I'm, I'm curious to know what is it that, you know, we've used the word fulfillment a couple of times here and it's a bit of a moving target. And so I'm curious to hear what is your personal definition of fulfillment? Like, what does that actually mean to you? Yeah. So I think of fulfillment in a couple different ways. One of them can be 
this concept of Ikigai. Uh, I don't know how many people have heard of Ikigai, but basically it takes into consideration what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs, and what people will pay you for, right? Mm. And that concept is if all those things combine, then you've found a niche within your environment which you can thrive because all yeah. those things really play into each other and, and help you live a fulfilled life. Um, there's another aspect that I really like from Sean Aker, who's a happiness psychologist, and he defines happiness as joy that we feel striving for our potential, mm-hmm. um, which ties in really clearly with the why discovery work that we've done and trying to define and, and understand potential and understand the why behind what we do, telling those stories, analyzing those stories from our past to understand what makes us tick, what drives joy in our lives, what are those top peak moments that really drove home a fulfilling and happy moment. And if yeah. we can dissect those and understand those, then we can understand why we do what we do. That's fulfilling. And I think when you take those two things in, one's more kind of a business centric view and one's more of a philosophical view. And I think Mm -hmm. between those two things, we can really understand and have a trajectory, maybe like triangulate almost where our potential is and triangulate where our fulfillment could lie. And it takes a lot of self reflection. It takes a lot of digging. It takes a lot of time and energy of focusing on what did I do in the past that I really enjoyed? What did I do in the past that really, maybe it wasn't glamorous, but guess what? I felt at home or I felt at peace. I felt this joy. And take, for instance, the phone's job that you took at Zappos, right? Mm -hmm. Not the most glamorous work, but there were parts of that that really fulfilled. Well, what was it about that that was fulfilling? Let's dissect that, analyze it, and build upon it. Yeah. And it just brings to mind to me, a couple of things actually came up of which the first one is, you know, talking about uh, deep reflection. And this is something that organizations almost exclusively discourage because yeah. <laughs> because it's time away from, yeah, right. it's, well, it's time away from doing the thing they, they think they hired you to do. Right. When in fact, they got that wrong in the first place. What they hired you to do was show up at your best and execute. You know, you want those deliverables, but I'm not going to be at my best if you don't give me the space to do that. And so the space and time to reflect is often put on our shoulders and we don't create the time. And a fallacy in that is that when we do get the time, we look at the actual manifestations instead of the root causes. What you kind of talked about there of like, you know, if I'm going back and looking at those moments where I felt like I was really, you know, alive and thriving, some of them might be volunteering or something like that. I might right. misread that and go, well, I just need to volunteer, volunteer all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. which great. You should definitely do that if that's your, if you, if you're called to do that. But for me, it's, it's less about, you know, oh, I was giving to the needy, but it's more right. about like, what about that entire process felt so right to you? what's the thousand foot view of that action at a higher level, instead of saying I was, you know, answering phones or I helped a customer with a a wrong order. It might be, I helped someone who was really struggling with a problem. I helped them solve it and find a solution and get on their way. You know, that next level up. I, I have a perfect example of that. So after this potato company, right. 
I didn't go straight from there into Zappos. I actually went out on my own for two years and started my own ad agency. Mm-hmm. And I felt extremely fulfilled during that time, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just felt a lot of, I, I was my own boss. I had my own schedule. I was working on interesting work. It was extremely stressful because <laughs> it was all on me. And my wife was like, hey, we need money to live. Um, and so, you know, that was a stressful time, but very, very fulfilling. And if I looked at that on the what mm-hmm. level, I would say, well, I just need to be an entrepreneur again. That's the only yeah. way I can be fulfilled is by being an entrepreneur. Yeah. But if I actually look at why I was fulfilled in that time, it was because I was helping people, small businesses, but businesses are just people, right? Yeah. They have somebody operating them. It's no different. Yeah. So I was helping small businesses. I was helping people discover their potential. I was helping small businesses unlock things that they are, they were already striving. They just needed a little help, some little catalyst to tweak that and find out and unlocked a lot of potential within their business. Right. And so if I look at it at that level, I don't need to be an entrepreneur to help people unlock their potential, to be a catalyst for change in their lives. I can do that as Zappos. I can do that at National Indoor RV Centers. I can do that in my family. I can do that with my kids. I can do that with my spouse. And you may be in a job that may be difficult at this moment, or wasn't the job that you wanted, or wasn't, you know, COVID just hit. A lot of changes happened since COVID hit. You may not be in the same job that you were at the beginning of 2020. And some people may look at that and look, well, I'm not going to be happy until I get back to where I was, or I'm not going to be happy until I find the job that I really want. But if you look at the why underneath that and you start understanding what drives you and what fulfills you, then you can do those things in any environment. And when you really understand what makes you tick, that's where you can unlock those fulfilling moments, no matter where you're at. You brought up a good uh, a word that I want to touch on as well. And it's something that you mentioned earlier that got me thinking too, of the word potential. And it's so interesting to see how people approach optimizing their potential because it's used as a blanket term for anything you could possibly do, you know? (laughs) And so when you say to a child, you have so much potential, you're not lying, but you're also not helping them, you know? And exactly. And so there's something to should versus can in this scenario that I don't think you can get to your potential unless you do this type of self-reflection that you've been talking about. Because if we think about ourselves in reaching our potential, well, you know, the, the example that I use to people is, you know, do I feel like I have reached my potential as a business owner or as a leader? Absolutely not. I have a ton of space to grow there. Uh, do I think I have reached or maxed out my potential on becoming a baseball player? Yes, I do. I absolutely do. Like I, I stopped playing that in, out. <laughs> in high school. And even then that was like horrible, you know? So, so it's one of those things, but like to say, well, you have the potential to do anything is a bit misleading because sure you can do something, but it's not a guarantee. It's going to bring about this sense of, of fulfillment. And it reminds me of, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but um, it's, I think it's called the parable of the apple tree. And I don't remember where it comes from, but I do remember um, hearing this, this story and 
what they talked about in in the story is a, a hungry man is wandering and happens upon an apple tree and it has beautiful apples and some of them are real red and shiny some are green and sour um, and some are growing higher some are growing lower and he spends so much time trying to decide which apple to eat that they all start dying and falling off the tree in front of him. And eventually he ends up going hungry because they're like all the apples disappear while he's been thinking about it. And that's always stuck with me because I've considered myself a bit of a jack of all trades, you know, good at a lot of things, but never a master of any. And so that idea of potential, potential to do what is really important when you think about something like, well, I could eat any of these apples. And if I just sit here and stare at all of them, if I'm afraid to shut a door on one of them, yep. then I'm never going to reach my potential in the one that might be bringing me the most fulfillment or satisfy yep. that hunger. And the, the really awesome thing about that is if you would just take a bite out of one of them and fail fast, take a bite out of the one you think is the best option. Take a bite, see what happens, right? Yeah fail fast, know quickly whether you like that or not. Because guess what? You can go get another apple. And (laughs) if you just go get another apple before they all die, you could try maybe four or five of those. And this is a discussion I've I've had with my family and and friends recently of, I think in America, we have this ideal that, um, and it might be other places other than America, but I sense it here that I work really hard until I'm 50 and then I retire and I don't do anything but sit on beaches and, you know, drink cocktails. (laughs) Yeah. And when I think about, I have had a successful marketing career up to this moment, but that doesn't mean that I might not have a psychology career after I turn 50 or that I might have a, another entrepreneurial venture at age 45 I think there's damage in thinking that we only have this one path and, (laughs) and once we, once we bite into that apple, that's the only apple that we can eat from now on is that green apple. But if we just take a bite, experiment, test it, especially in your younger years, Mm -hmm. you know, before you have children and, and these other things that tie us down to specific locations or make it harder to be agile in, in our future, take a bite, see, see what happens. And then if you don't like it, cool, shift, pivot, change, go back to school, get a certificate, try something new. But as you change, as you take that second apple, don't forget to look back at what happened with the first one and why <laughs> that didn't work out for you, right? What, what was it about that experience that didn't taste so good? Mm. And so that you can take that learning into the next, next phase. That's great. And just building on that to take a bite isn't always to take a job. You know, if we're using this as the metaphor, I think a lot of people are like, well, I can't switch jobs every five months just because I don't like something (laughs) like that's not what we're implying here. It's you can start small. And, And it's the same thing with this sense of fulfillment. You know, it doesn't have to be you don't have to start off by going, all right, I'm going to quit my job and go do something else that feels like it's more fulfilling chances are once you have the language to express, you know, here's what makes me feel at my natural best. And that's one thing that I also like to call out is people put this, this premium on and it's, you kind of like hit the nail on the head, which is why it's perfect that the movie soul just came out recently. And it talked a little bit about this idea that people feel like I have one life's purpose and that's it. And 
I avoid that conversation as much as possible, especially in people when we're talking about it in the context of showing up as your best self, because that to me is what the actual, you know, reaching your potential is, is just showing up as the best version of you. And you don't do that by not doing anything else ever or shutting everything (laughs) else out. Um, You can start small, like you said, take bites of, okay, maybe I'll just volunteer for this project, or maybe I'll do this on the side or on the weekends or try stuff with my spouse or my kids, or, you know, maybe I, I want to start teaching, but I have a job in finance at a big company that helps me take care of my family. Well, maybe you work on a Skillshare class that you do or right. take some other course, right? It's, it's not always about this huge pivot. And so I'm glad you called out kind of like the taking bite approach because it, it really does help even fill in the colors of the picture, right? So maybe revisiting those stories and moments that you felt you know, at your best in the past hasn't given you the clearest picture as what that looks like for you now. And so right. taking yep. those small bites as to what that could look like um, can be a really huge thing. So I'm, I was glad you brought that up. So my question then to you is, do you have any recommendations for people on things that you have either personally experienced working for you, things that you've seen in other people, some of the research that you have done or the reading, any of that that you've seen that will help people one connect with like what will make me feel fulfilled. And two, once they're there, how do you bring that into multiple facets of your life? If right now I feel like I can only do it on the weekends while I'm, you know, volunteering or something like that. Yeah. So for me personally, from a very young age, I'm the youngest of eight kids. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Which is (laughs) that, that in itself is a whole nother podcast, but my father was a salesman for 30 years and I had the unique experience of going with him on sales trips Mm. and he'd, he'd go to a conference in Las Vegas, whatever. And I'd go with him. Right. And I'd actually be able to see him doing his work as a salesman, interacting with customers, you know, pitching people ideas. And it was at that moment that I realized I, I kind of got that bug and I knew I wanted to go into business, but I didn't know what kind of business I just defaulted to sales. Like you said, because that's yeah. what, that's what my experience told me. Well, you're going into business. Well, you'll do sales. Yeah. Uh, then I went to Taiwan for two years and, and I helped teach English and I did a lot of service over there and I helped families. And in that experience, I found a lot of love for psychology and helping people work through really deep, issues and challenges. And and I found like this, again, this joy, this fulfillment of helping people change. Mm. So I said, well, maybe I'll go into psychology and I'll, you know, become a therapist or something like that. And then I needed to do my general study. So I went to school and I started down the business path, taking a nibble, right? Taking a bite saying, okay, I'll start here. If I don't like it, I'll, I'll switch. And as I got into the second year of business school, I learned more about marketing and marketing was the psychology behind business decisions. How do we pitch an idea or present a product in a way that fulfills people's lives or helps them understand that this could potentially fulfill their life in some way. And it was the perfect mixture of this business aspiration and this fulfilling aspect of psychology and the human decision and the human behavior but I would not have ever known that had I not done this 
two-year service experiment out in Taiwan, right? That, yeah. And I never would have thought that that would drive that experience. I did not expect that experience to drive a career change in me. Yeah. And there's a book called How Will You Measure Your Life by um, Clayton Christensen, who he recently passed, but he was a Harvard professor. And really fascinating book. I, I highly suggest it. But in that, he talks about deliberate strategies and emergent strategies. And all throughout my life, I've always had a deliberate strategy. My mm. first deliberate strategy was become a businessman. Once I did that, it was to get a job as a marketer, right? Then it yeah. was, this job sucks and I want to <laughs> go work for Zappos. And my next deliberate strategy was Zappos. And it took yeah. me two and a half years to fulfill that deliberate strategy. Yeah. Now, between that decision to go work for them, there was an emergent strategy of becoming an entrepreneur, teaching at a college. There was these things that presented themselves to me, other apples that kind of came into my life and said, hey, why don't you try this? And yeah. so I didn't block those out because I was like, no, I'm going to work at Zappos. That's all I can do. I, I just need to get to Zappos. I looked at those and I said, you know what? That looks like it could fit into helping me get to where I want to go. It's an emergent strategy that I can then apply into my life that's only going to help enrich me and build this breadth of experience. Mm. Just like while I was at Zappos, it was kind of like uh, when Michael Phelps, I don't know if you've seen his documentary, but he talks about the problem with mm -hmm. these Olympic athletes, that their whole life they drive towards being Olympian. They're Olympian for maybe eight years, maybe more. Yep. And then they have nothing. They literally have nothing. And I was driving so hard to get to Zappos that once I got to Zappos, I was like, sweet. And I no longer had a deliberate strategy, but I was still always keeping an eye out for that emergent strategy to come into my life. And the why discovery was one of those emergent strategies that went back to that love of helping people change, helping people understand themselves, that psychology aspect of, of helping people. And so yeah. I think you always need to have on your horizon First, you got to reflect, understand what really fulfills you. And then you just set those up as goalposts of this is, this is the thing that I need to be shooting towards. Not this job, but this type of fulfillment. And as long as you have that as the goalpost and you're, you're basing your decisions on what will get you to that fulfillment, then you can do a lot of different things. The emergent strategies that come into your life can apply to those things in very unique and unpredictable ways that you may not have thought of, um, including family life situations where I've been able to help family members with marketing things that really help their small businesses grow, as well as family members with psychology needs of helping counsel them through challenges that they've been in. And those things are very fulfilling moments in my life. And I know that they're fulfilling moments because they hit on those whys, you know, they hit on that joy that comes into my life. And so I make note of those things. And I, I add that to the goalpost of things that I'm striving towards. Yeah, that's a great example. And it reminds me of this distinction that I think is worth making for people where a lot of times we confuse having fun with fulfillment. <laughs> and I use this example when I talk about this in workshops, if people are going to be trying to sort back through peak moments in their life. I'm like, you know, you might've had fun at a party, but did that shape the person that you are today? Mm 
Right. And, and those are the things that I think if you can key on on that, because having fun and even the word happiness, I mean, you and I have talked a little bit about this, but the word happiness is a bit of a misnomer because it's short, it's fleeting. Yes. Joy and fulfillment, different chemical set in the brain, basically. Totally. You know, it lasts longer, it stays in your system, it sticks with you, and it makes an impact on shaping the person that you are. I think of it as like happiness and pleasure affects your day. Joy and fulfillment affects your life. Mm, I love that. Right? Like I, I can be happy in this moment and then something happens in my life. And if I don't have my trajectory on course or if I don't have my mindset in the right place, guess what? I'm not happy anymore, right? By one yeah. simple action that impacted me. And that's where this, this being a victim and being external forces apply to me or my internal forces propel me. And mm-hmm. if I am really looking for a lifetime of happiness, then I need to focus on joy and fulfillment. And joy is not pleasure. Joy is yeah. not going and getting that next high. It's not what we get from addictive behaviors. Those are fleeting moments that affect us in the short term. And we don't remember those things very often. You're probably not going to remember that one time that you went to that party and had that one experience unless it also tapped into joy. And then Mm. you need to dissect dissect that and say, okay, well, what was it about that party that actually made a lasting impact on me? And because sometimes they can overlap, but sometimes they don't. And so we just need to be really careful about how we view happiness because it can be a little confusing. Now, I love this psychologist, Sean Aker. I already mentioned him once, but he talks about your brain at positive functions 30% better than at negative, neutral, or stressed. So basically what he's saying is success does not lead to happiness. Success does not lead to joy. It's actually the other way around. When we find fulfillment, when we find things that really build us up and fulfill our lives, that leads us to success. Because when we are fulfilled, our mind is actually changed to be in a positive, non-stressed state. And when it's in that state, their research has found that it's 30% more effective. So you're 30% better at being a father, 30% better at being a spouse, selling a product, leading a team. That's a huge impact. If you could make a 30% increase to your sales, business people would be like, "Uh, yeah, let's do that right now. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But the problem is, like you stated already, is especially in business, we don't take the time to reflect, pause, and understand what really is going to drive us forward. Um, mm-hmm. There was a, a marketer, David Sawyers. He's the, he was the chief marketer for Chick-fil-A. He's the one who came up with the cow concept mm-hmm. and a uh, really brilliant guy. And he now advises businesses, small businesses, medium-sized businesses. And recently with COVID, he was helping lead a company called Rome, R-O-A-M. And during this time, Rome had to shut down for three full months. And instead of laying people off, cutting back things that a lot of companies had to or contemplated doing, what they did is they brainstormed something like 12 different initiatives. And then they let people opt in to each of those initiatives that they thought they could contribute best to. And for those three months, they built out what they were going to do when they came out on the other side of this thing. And really they reflected on what are we good at? 
they thought about what was their ikigai, right? What was their purpose? And then now that they've come out on the other side of that three-month period, those initiatives that they spent time reflecting on and building and planning are now paying off in huge dividends for their business. But a lot of companies would just try to push through or they just lay people off and try to wait it out. And really this aspect of reflecting on those fulfilling pieces of your business or the fulfilling pieces of your life can pay off in huge dividends when applied in the right way. It's fantastic. And it, it brings to mind for me, you know, you mentioned this, so you mentioned an author, I'll, I'll mention, I'll throw one out as well and kind of connect their work, which is really fascinating to layer this on top of each other. Um, so you mentioned like the 30% improvement um, when operating at, you know, when we're feeling good, essentially, our brains have a bias for negativity. And this, this came from us. It's a survival thing, right? We needed to be sensitive to the risks around us just in case you know, we were attacked or, or anything like that. So our brains have a built-in negativity bias. And so right. if you think about, I read this book, it's called uh, Hardwiring Happiness by Rick Hansen. He's a PhD. But one of the things that he calls out there, well, I'll just read a couple of excerpts here that I, I had pulled up for today. Um, but he mentions that lasting intimate relationships need at least five positive interactions to balance every negative one. Wow. And so we really start to thrive when we have positive interactions with people. That's the only real way to start laying a foundation for a lasting relationship. And like you said at the beginning, that's not just me and you as friends, companies and customers are people to people. And so if you yep. want to build a relationship uh, with other people, you have to create the conditions in which they can also have those moments. It's not just about you. And, and this is the result because um, you know, what we see is a result of what we look for. And, you know, I, I think that uh, in that same book, Rick calls this like, you know, your, your attention's like a spotlight and a vacuum cleaner, whatever you pointed at, it's going to like, you know, for better or for worse, that's what's coming into your brain. And, right. and if we can focus on the fulfillment piece and, and make it external as well, you think you, you, you met, you touched on this at the beginning, but I really want to drive this home. It, fulfillment, if you're looking for it is, is not about how do I feel good in that moment? It goes back to like the, the fun kind of a thing. Um, but a lot of people, and I myself, when I went through my original Y discovery process, I struggled with this idea that I would source ex, uh, fulfillment externally. And it wasn't that people like, well, I'm not dependent. I don't want to be dependent upon anyone else for my happiness. Right. And that's not what it is. If you look at how we are hardwired as a species, we feel better when we show up as members of a community, when we show up in, as, in service of and in community with others. And that's what gives us that long lasting. So, so the thing to keep in mind too, is it's not just about looking back over those moments. You know, you talked about being an entrepreneur. If we stop at that level, we, we focus a lot of times just on us. Well, yeah. what makes me feel good yep. in this moment? When in reality, the thing that makes us feel good over time is maybe finding a way to replicate that for other people, taking that thing that makes you feel good and then shining, like opening that door for other people. And I would guess that your self-exploration or the reason you feel so great when you help other people reach their potential is because someone probably did that for you. Someone opened up that door and recognized, or the people who in your life, you find the strongest connection and inspiration with those are probably the people who bring the best out of you, who help you reach your potential, right? right? And so we feel really great when we can do that for other people. So that's that's a challenge I would throw out there for everyone is, is once you have the inward focused one, if you don't sense like I did when I went through my process, 
didn't do, I don't, I still don't do a lot of charitable giving. I don't do a lot of volunteer work. So I didn't think I was a very generous person. And I think we all are generous in our own way. It just depends on the circumstances, what we're presented with and how we get fulfillment from that giving experience. And um, I encourage everybody to, once you have that inward focus one, if that's where you start, great, then figure out how do I I bring that to other people? Because that's to me where it's not just about like being a good neighbor in air quotes. It's about bringing the best out of yourself, which in turn ironically happens when you bring the best out of other people. And I think one way that, we can help listeners to drive down to that deeper level. You know, if you're stuck on this, well, I love being an entrepreneur because I had my own uh, schedule and I was my own boss and I really got to choose what I worked on. Those are all very inward focused, right? That's what you're talking about. This, this inward level. And one way that they can get down to a lower level is as you did those things for yourself, what impact did that have on people around you? What impact did that have on your customers? What impact did that have on your family? Mm-hmm. Uh, positive impact. Now, yeah. there's a way to get to that through the negative, but it's a more difficult process. <laughs> we'll have to leave yeah. that for another day. But yeah. the easier way is to what positive impact did that have on the people around you? And if you try to think of very specific individuals, very specific people that during your time as that entrepreneur or during your time in that role or in that experience, who was there with you and how did you impact that person? And I guarantee you, you get down to that level and you look at that impact, you're going to find a very fulfilling moment in your life and a very fulfilling aspect to your life that you can then set as a goalpost and try to strive for those type of moments, those type of experiences in the future. And they can magnif- uh, manifest themselves in many different ways, family life, education, work life, the whole yeah. bit. And even with that example, I think it's a great illustration, getting to the heart of the concept at the, at the middle of those. So you talked about, I had the freedom, to, uh, you know, I was able to make my own schedule. I was my own boss. I wasn't reporting to anyone. Well, at the heart of all of those, the common theme there, the thread that I see is freedom. And, and that in itself is like, okay, that's illuminating. Freedom is core to me. That brings the best out of me. Now, now is that something that was created for me or do I thrive and make an impact because of that freedom? That's the exploration you want to go to there of what you're talking about. And like, how do I do that for people? What's the impact that that has on on the people around me? So the other thing I would, I just wanted to throw out there, which is another, like, it's an excerpt from hardwiring happiness, but I, I wanted to read it because you, you got me thinking about it earlier. And this idea that we chase the title, we chase the raise, we chase, like I said that earlier, that manifestation of what we thought was going to make us fulfilled, but really is just fun <laughs> or short-term happiness. It's right. like taking, taking the wrong medicine. So in, in hardwiring happiness, the, the quote is, in other words, a problem requires a solution that's matched to it. If you have scurvy, you need vitamin C. For years, I tried to refill my need for love, a need that everyone has, by piling up accomplishments. But this never worked because I was trying to fix an attaching to others type of problem with an approaching rewards type of solution. In effect, I took a lot of iron pills for scurvy, which didn't help. And I just, I see this all over the place. When you think about fulfillment is just like you, you talked about earlier, it's not a destination. 
it is off like the fulfillment is where we go, how we feel along the way. And I, I know it's cliche to say it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. But when it comes to fulfillment, there will never be. And for those who listen to that episode that I did with Laura Gallagher, we talked about this. There will never be a day where you can check it off and say, no. I am officially fulfilled. I'm done. I'm retiring. I'm going to yep. stay in this state for the rest of my existence. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, you know? And yeah. uh, you use that um, example earlier. Uh, and, and as uh, like a, a companion metaphor, I would even use a, a map, you know, setting that, that sense of I'm at my best when that's the destination on the map. You can put that, but the route that you choose to take there can be different. Bite into those different apples and see if they take you yep. to that same destination on the map. And, and you'll find that in different phases of your life, it looks different and it feels different. But one of the best things that you can do, at least in my experience is when you put to paper and you don't just think it in your mind, but you actually put down the words, you communicate them with someone else, have a conversation with someone. And realistically trying to do this on your own is going to be, you're going to get in your own head. You're going to get in your own way, bring someone in who you trust and who can have an objective perspective um, and talk through this with them. But the idea of setting down and saying, I'm at my best when, you know, the best version of me. Yep. And on our team, we call these the give and the get. I'm at my best when I give this thing. And I hope that someone gets this out of it. Like articulating it in yeah, those terms. If you come at it from that, and then you really put a focus on what are my values along the way? Like, what are the things I won't bend on? And, and you can start small. You don't have to have a list of 10 or 15, start with like three to five and get used to those. But that to me is what you're talking about when you when you mentioned the emergent strategies. Emergent strategies really lean into, I don't know what this exactly is, <laughs> but I know it's hopefully moving me in the right direction because I know yeah. my destination. And I also know my guardrails that are going to keep me safe in trying this yep. out. Like I'm letting my values lead me into that decision rather than I'm jumping in because I want to make more money and I'm scared I'm going to lose this yeah. job here or something else like that. I'm not sacrificing these values for this emergent strategy. But exactly, I, it, it's safe enough to try. Let's give it a shot. And yeah. I, you know, when we have that title or that expectation as as the goalpost, uh, the Sean Aker and Happiness Advent, the book Happiness Advantage, he talks about this too. And he talks about how you get that job now, you need a better job. You get that raise now, you need another raise. You get that promotion now, you need another promotion. You got that house well now, you need a bigger house. Oh, and you need a car. Now, mm. now you need this. Now you need that. And when we push happiness beyond the cognitive horizon and we no longer are able to reach fulfillment because we've placed this little pin on the map and we said, well, once I get there, I'll be happy. Well, guess what? Yeah. That's not how it works. And we, we spend our lives hustling for worth in the words of Brene Brown, where we're, we're just hustling for that next thing that's going to make us fulfilled. Just like you were talking about in that book, you know, he, he's trying to solve this problem with the wrong side, kind of medicine. Yeah. And when we try to fulfill our lives with things that can only be short term, we then have to find that next high and that next yeah. high and that next high, and it becomes exhausting and you burn out. But when you have that real idea of fulfillment on the horizon, you can slowly and steadily methodically and strategically move towards that objective, move towards that and find along that way, just as you were talking about, lots of fulfillment, lots of opportunities for success. And guess what? It's contagious. It's attractive. People want to be around people that have direction. People want to be around people that 
have this grounded sense of themselves and where they're going and what they're trying to achieve. They want, because guess what? A lot of people don't have that yet. That's why we're talking about it today. And if you see somebody that does have this, see if they'll mentor you, be around them, see what they do, see how they act, see how they manage their life and, and glean those understandings and those learnings from them so that you can replicate those in your own life. Yeah, that's great advice. And it's funny that you mentioned the mentor piece. So this is something I was, was going to share today is that, and I don't even know if you and I have ever talked about this, is that you were one of those moments for me when we worked together at Zappos. And I don't know if you'll remember the story. I sh- I've shared it at multiple workshops, actually, and, uh, and classes that I've taught around discovering and finding your why and that best version of you. And I don't remember how long we had been working together at this point. It was probably close to a year. It was months in. It was, I think it was less than a year, though. And you and I had just really clicked and um, worked on some projects together, both on the marketing side and non. And I remember one morning, so we, we used to have a coffee shop at the Zappos campus. And I was a fiend that was in there all the time, but Darren was not, he was not always in there. Cause he was not, he's never been a coffee guy. Yeah. Um, and so I remember getting an invite on my calendar from you and it was just chat. I think that was all it said. It was, it was very nondescript. It was only for like 15 minutes or so. And I was like, Oh, cool. And you know, we like wanted to meet at the cafe. And then I just, you know, asked you like, Oh, I just have something I want to ask you about. And I, was like, okay, I just had assumed you wanted to work on a project together. Will we get down there? And I could tell that you were a little nervous about the conversation when we got there. And I was like, what is like, now you're making me nervous. Like, is this some bad news? Is he quitting? Like, oh no. And um, when I asked you like, what was up? You, you just basically said like, I was wondering if you would mentor me. And that was one of the most powerful moments. And I don't know if I've ever told you this, but that was one of the most no. powerful moments that I've had. And you helped me understand in that moment how important teaching was to me. Mm. I'd been in leadership roles before. I, I was leading teams at that time as well. And I had had people, quote, follow me. But it was never to the point where someone came up and asked me, hey, you know, and, and it mattered a lot because you were someone that I respected as well. And so um, I actually looked up to you. So it was a very meaningful moment. And I, I share that one just to say thank you, because that ended up leading me on a lot of realizations about where I want to go and what I wanted to be doing. But two, also to kind of just shine some light on you can be a, a moment for someone else as well mm-hmm. and help them with that. And just the the act of asking if someone will mentor you can be a very powerful thing. And so I was glad that you brought that up. And also it's that's just, awesome. you know, one of those things that you don't know the impact that you have on other people. And you I do, think that's really something that, that can bring into, you know, and if you're clear on the impact you want to make on others, it changes how you show up in those interactions. And chances are you have a more impactful interaction with someone if you show up that way, then, you know, if you're just looking for getting a project done or how can I get the certification or or whatever it might be. And I think it goes back to what I was just saying on find somebody who's reflecting those values that you either really admire and hold dear or that you want to -hmm. have in your life. Maybe you don't have those things yet. Maybe, maybe you struggle in, in some ways and, and you want to be more ethical or you want to be more empathetic or somebody who 
shows up in a, in a more meaningful way for others. Well, find somebody who does that in your life and guess what? Spend more time with them. The more time you spend with people, the more like them you become. It's like um, yeah. you are what you eat and you are, you are who you hang around. And I saw you as somebody that really thought differently than others that I had met. You mm. approach things differently. You were very fun to be around, which I'm kind of an intro introvert. Uh, I am not the, the funnest <laughs> of the bunch, right? Um, false, I'm, false. And I wanted to be somebody, I knew that a lot of people liked being around you, respected you, looked up to you, and I did as well. And, and I just wanted to surround myself with people that fulfilled me that lifted me up, that were positive influences. We, every time we got together, we'd talk about interesting things or new ideas. And that's, that's what I needed in my life. And I felt happy because I felt fulfilled. And I wanted to have that more often in my life. And what better way than to have a mentorship where um, I could as well be taught, not just, you know, view those experiences and, and be a uh, on the sideline for those, but actually be taught those experiences and, and try to learn how I could apply them in my life. So thank you as well for being that example. And, and for those of you that are, you know, struggling, you might be surprised at who's around you and who is willing to mentor you. All you have to do is open your mouth. Mm -hmm. And if you have a decent relationship with them, you're going to find that people are more than willing to help but you have to be the best student you can be. And if you're not ready to learn, and if you're not ready to make real change, don't ask for that help yet. Wait till you've, you've reflected and you're really ready to start making changes in your life and then ask and then be the best student you can be of that mentor. I love that. And it brings up this word that I always use because um, it's near and dear to my heart, but intentionality comes to mind. And going up to someone who you admire and just say, hey, will you mentor me is, is something that doesn't do a lot of good because they're going to go, what do you want to learn? You know, and <laughs> in unless <what> <laughs> you, yeah, in, in what way can I mentor you? And so it's really a good thing to have the self-reflection that we've been talking about all day ahead of time to go, what are some things I want to work on? What are some things that I find valuable? And also, what I would say is bring something to the table. Part of the reason that I jumped at the opportunity, and I still don't feel like I actually did anything for, for Darren, but the Pop part of the reason that I really was excited for that was because I looked at it almost like co-mentorship because there was a lot of things that Darren did well that I wanted to emulate. And so that's another thing that I encourage you to do is don't just wait for someone who might show up on your radar as they rank higher than you or they're a, you've got a certain status of whatever find people around you that maybe they're younger maybe it's a kid maybe it's one of your own kids uh maybe it's your spouse um look for a co-mentoring relationship where it's valuable for both people in the sense that we can both grow from the relationship and i think oftentimes people might feel nervous to ask someone to mentor them because they look at it as a take and if you only do show up to take, then that's, that can definitely be the perception, you know? And yeah. so, um, but the idea of offering, you know, is there anything, any way I can help you, which might feel weird to say, especially if you're reaching out to someone who like ranks higher, like if you are right. entry level, the company and you reach out to the CEO <laughs> or something, and you're just like, 
hey, will you mentor me? What can I also mentor you in? That might feel weird coming out, but on the receiving end of that, it's someone not just trying to make it a transaction, but it's more so like, I value you. I also want to be able to contribute to this relationship. And I see it as a relationship and not just you giving me something. Well, and if that CEO has any sense, he'll realize that he probably has lost touch with what it's like to be that entry-level employee. Mm -hmm. And guess what? You could learn a lot by doing that. Just like with your kids, you have Mm -hmm. lost touch with what it's like to be a six-year-old, you know, what it's like to be a teenager. I know that it would make a big impact on my eight-year-old if I said, Leah, I really want you to help me be better in this way. I know that Mm -hmm. I struggle in this way. And I need you to look out for opportunities and then help it, you know, help remind me when maybe I'm struggling. She would light up. I know she would because she would, it's always dad helps me. I don't help dad. Right. But what, what kind of fulfillment would your child feel if they knew that, Hey, in this family, we help each other and I help my dad be better. And he helps me be better. Just like in this business, maybe the CEO could be humble enough to realize I don't know everything. And I could go down to that frontline employee and actually receive mentorship. And my, my brother actually, just the other day we were talking and he told me that Harvard did a study where they found that executives that spend a long length of time in leadership, executive leadership, they actually lose touch. They actually no longer understand what it's like to be a frontline employee. They physically <laughs> Yeah, like their brains lost the capacity to do that. They literally don't know, right? Now Mm -hmm. they may think they know if they're not humble enough to understand that maybe they've changed. But if they truly take a look at it and receive mentorship from the front line, I guarantee you they would find out all sorts of stuff that could help them lead in a much more impactful, much more fulfilling way. Just from a few coffee discussions, a few instances to say, hey, how's it going? What are you feeling right now? And not in a, give me the dirty details so I can punish everybody, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. what are yeah. they saying, snitch? No, not yeah. in that way, but truly <laughs> wanting to understand what's going on in your organization. It can come from all levels if you're willing and humble enough to receive it. And what you also do in those moments, and I love the example you gave with your, your, your kid of, what you do is you create an opportunity. You, you open the space for them to feel fulfillment in that moment. And that I think is, is undersold in this exchange, which is if I go to you and I ask you for help. And I talk about this in the context, a lot uh, of building trust within your teams, you know, admitting is if you're the team lead, admitting that you're not perfect, opening up the floor, asking someone for help, is actually a gift that you can give them. It's, it's right. the same in our friendships. You know, if, if I only try and put on a face, like I'm perfect with my friend, they're going to feel it and they're going to not feel like I trust them. Wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if, if I'm willing to say, you know, admit something that I don't even want to admit to myself, but if I'm willing to admit that to my friend, if I I've had friends open up to me about things like that before, and it, it makes me feel amazing that they trust me like that, that they'd be willing to go there with me. And you create that space for a relationship when you ask for a mentor, when you say, hey, I need to get into a different headspace. I think you're really good at thinking this way. Can you help me out? You provide the space for someone else to step into the experience that I had 
of, oh my gosh, I love doing this thing. And I never would have thought about that. Or maybe it would have taken me years to think about that. But because I had this experience that I was able to execute on that, uh, I, I feel really fulfilled in this moment. I can chase that and better articulate it. Awesome. So yeah, good, good example with the, the parent to child. So I think that's something we don't do enough. And I speak not from a parent, but from like uncle perspective that oh. it's not how often do I myself, or do I hear anyone else in my family say, teach me to our, you know, five, eight, 10 year olds, whatever it might be. Uh, or even teenagers, you know? Um, so creating that space, I think is, is really key for helping people. There was actually experience we had recently with my daughter, my eight-year-old daughter, and we had this worksheet that um, her school gave us. It was like a cognitive test and it went through a lot of behavioral questions and it wasn't like academic. It was more psychological and, and things of that nature. And we just going through 50 questions of, you know, one of them was, do you feel like you are a burden on your family? Mm. And another one was, do you feel like you are the problem child? Mm. And how often do we really, you know, level and, and ask these questions? And I'm so glad we did it at a young age because she still trusts us enough to be open and honest about that. Yeah. As a teenager, are they still going to be open and honest? Well, maybe if we do these things in the beginning, they can see that it's safe to say, actually, I do feel like the problem child. And then we can have a discussion about that. But just like in your teams, are you asking? Those are really unique questions. And sometimes uncomfortable questions. Sometimes uncomfortable questions. And you have to have the right relationship in order to ask those. But imagine if your team could get on that level where you say, do you feel like I'm not bringing my best to the team? lately and your team honestly can give you the feedback to say actually i feel like you've been really stressed lately are you okay mm. that is a whole nother dynamic and a whole nother level of of co-working than i i think the vast majority of our businesses are operating in but can you imagine that the I think that's why people love this idea of this entrepreneurial team that starts up because I think they are close like that because they have to be in order to survive. But then we lose that over time. And I think we can be that way for our kids in the beginning. And, and if we don't, we can lose that over time, that disconnection and, and that trust. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a really, uh, really interesting, fascinating idea and um, has given me a lot to think about. Well, same here. And speaking of things to think about, we have a tradition on this podcast of something called una casita mas, which is one more little thing. So okay. is there something that, um, you know, could be a resource, could be an idea, could be a question, something that you want to leave the listeners with uh, moving forward after today's podcast? Yeah, I think um, this came from a conversation you and I had last week, uh, mm-hmm. talking together on our regular meetups. And we were talking about the type of goals that we have in life and the type of goals that businesses have in life. And a lot of those goals are all focused towards the bottom line. I I need to make this much money. I need to get into this big a house. I need that really nice car. We need to make this type of profit this quarter. We need to increase profits of this amount. So our stakeholders are happy. Yeah. But we were discussing what, what would life be like if instead of having that as the goal, we, set a goal that was not monetary, not self-interested. And so maybe the one more thing that we could pitch to our listeners today is 
what's one goal for 2021 or for the next few months that you can set that has no bearing on salary, title, anything like that, but really is a goal of maybe it's to share more of your own challenges that you're facing with somebody you trust and build deep in that relationship. So I'm going to share three things that I haven't wanted to share, but I knew I feel like I need to, and I'm going to get to the point where I can share those things and, and build on that relationship. Right. What are some mm-hmm. things in life that we can, what we can set a goal for and work towards that are a little bit out of the box that aren't necessarily <laughs> have to do with money or title. Yeah. And I think just building, connecting that to the conversation we had today is do it with your self-exploration in mind. Like what were the findings that you made, you know, be very intentional about the impact that you want this to make. And maybe even thinking about it in terms of impact solely is the way to do it is, you know, I realize that I feel like I'm at my best when I do this for other people. Well, how about you make a goal to have that impact on X number of people this month. Yeah, that's awesome. Something like that. So, or create the space for someone else to find their fulfillment this month. But I love that. Yeah, let's let's set more goals that are less about the what and more about the why behind it. And uh, yeah, well, thank you, Darren. I'm definitely gonna bring you back for more conversations. I appreciate it. Love to. Thank you for having me. Of course. And thank you all for listening. And we will see you next time on the podcast.